In a world where chaos ruled and terror stalked the land, two men arose to fight the real fight no one ever expected. The summer blockbuster you can't afford to miss. This is the new Teacher Hotline. Boy, are you in luck. It's lucky number 13. You've reached the new Teacher Hotline. And our 13th and luckiest episode ever. All right. Let's go play the lotto. You're right. Exactly. I don't buy into that whole superstition thing. In fact, thing. let's go now. I feel like <laughs> this could be it. Right. This could be my day. That's right. Let's just turn this off and forget about <laughs> yeah. it. See ya. Just to prove that we're not superstitious, I am actually doing this entire podcast underneath a ladder. Yeah. And every 30 seconds, I'll be smashing a mirror. There we go. And forget about the black cat. Uh, my name is Mike Kelly. I'm the director of teacher prep for the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. There are sponsors. I'll give them a plug, www.abcte.org. And Check what do them they out. do? They do alternative uh, teacher certification. So career hey. changers and things like that. If you're interested in getting into teaching, check them out. We have a letter like that, don't we? Oh, by the way, I'm Glenn Moulton. But, uh, well, you got to say more that, than that. Uh, uh, you can't gloss over. Oh, I'm six foot one and a ton of fun. That was last episode. <laughs> I know, but I liked it. Am I going to have to change your bio online to that? Uh, well, I've been a teacher for quite a number of years. Uh, I'm actually an old guy and uh, been a teacher, uh, school-based administrator, now central office, uh, know-it-all. So, uh, In the biz, we say you wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Yeah, you just keep moving, right? Right. Well, you're not really a hat guy, though. <laughs> no. No. One of these days. <laughs> It's on my to-do list. Yeah, one of these days. Well, if you were hanging around from last episode, just waiting by the internet. That's what I've been doing. (laughs) Uh, uh, You'll notice that we didn't get to all the questions from last time. We have a big clearing out of the email from when we were gone over the summertime. And we got more this time, so I don't think we'll ever get to the end of them. Why don't... Why don't we just pick out the ones we like? Well, we actually, the ones we can answer. That's pro- let's pick out the ones we know the answer to. I can do that. I can All do right. that. Well, okay. actually, no. You know what? I'm going to start by answering one that I can't answer. Well, that's the one I I knew you were going to do. So okay, let's do that one, or you do that one. It is the 13th episode, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, you're on. Here we go. One of the things we're getting a lot of email about is is questions about becoming certified as a teacher. People are asking. What program should they use? Should they go through a traditional college of education? Should they try an alternative program? And I think the best answer to that is that's really your choice. Mm-hmm. Whichever one fits you the best, I guess. That's huh? really the best answer is to figure out what it is you exactly need. For example, I got one email, and a person is asking them. They're going through an alternative path, and they're saying they want to know what they could read that would be uh, to the equivalent of courses such as educational psychology and adolescent growth and development. And, you know, courses that are in uh, – a traditional teacher certification pathway. And I don't say the word traditional as, as, uh, as an insult. I mean, it's no. just, you know, as, as the path that I was in, you mm-hmm. know, when I became so a teacher. Yeah. And I think my, my answer to that question is if you're looking for a, for a way to supplement an alternative program with things from a traditional program, then you're just kind of fooling yourself. Go with a traditional program. If you feel like that's really what you want, then you'll be cheating yourself if you don't get that. So, mm-hmm. Or if the easy way out of that is just buy the book. 
Right. Whatever book they're using, just go buy it. And, yeah. you know, if you're a self-study kind of person, do that. Right. And you can always look up syllabi online. Sure. They used to be more password protected. But if you do a search for, like, a course name mm-hmm. and pull up a number of syllabi from a number of different colleges, you know, and places that you trust, you know, good names, solid names in education, you know, see if they come to a consensus on what kind of textbook mm-hmm. is the number mm-hmm. one. There's, um, there's a lot you can learn uh, through books. And there's just a whole lot that you have to get in front of a class full of students and slug it out with them. You can never not be literally. overprepared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and there's some things that you're you're not going to learn until your first day of teaching. Mm-hmm. And then some of the, you you're probably going to learn more than the students do. Right. Yeah. I know I did. Exactly. So my, my first year of teaching, I learned a lot more than I taught the students. And you really learn the material more, too. It's strange that when you have to anticipate questions from people, you know, you really learn to look mm-hmm. at it in a different way. Because when you're a student, you're just trying to basically wrap your head around it and then keep moving because you've got so much to worry about. Right. But when this is your only subject or your only class, you really tend to focus. Mm-hmm. That's when people think you're brilliant <laughs> because you've taught, you've taught the same lesson six times. Right. And you have most of it memorized. Exactly. And you just impress them with how much you know. And that's <laughs> why I've always liked that. <laughs> but did we answer the question? I think, the, I think we did. The answer is pick the one that's best for you. Right. And if you need to buy a book here or there, do it. Or, uh, as you said, enroll in the course. Right. And most of these questions that I'm getting, the people are answering their own question halfway through. They pretty much realize that this is what they want, and they just sort of want me to confirm it. Confirm it, right? Oh, okay. I'm confirming what you think. Whatever you think is fine. Okay. <laughs> and other we'll people play actually, the lotto. <laughs> right. Other people are actually asking me like, how do I get certified in Arizona? The answer to that is, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But a, perhaps we should make is, a field trip to Arizona to find out. <laughs> <laughs> New segment: Ask Arizona. Yeah, there we go. Well, then that's the right answer. Is you right. call the Arizona State Department of Education and. They have people that will handle that. I can't imagine that Arizona is saying we're not interested in teachers at this time. No, I think everybody is. (laughs) Given that there's a shortage, I think everybody's looking for quality people. Mm -hmm. So ask Arizona. That's pretty much the answer to everything today. All right. All right, so the next email comes from, it looks like just kind of random letters. Okay. So I don't, it's not really a name. Uh, Oh, okay. But it looks like it's from, I can't even tell if it's a he or she or from one organization. Well, just go ahead and read it. Enough of the preface. The question is, what advice would you give a school administrator who is dealing with a guidance counselor who refuses to put in any time above or beyond contract hours? Sort of a school administrator, huh? Yeah, we're getting, look at that. I was going to say, this, I believe, is our first school administrator letter. Mm -hmm. Most of them, well, all of them have been from uh, teachers. Yeah, from pretty new Uh, teacher candidates. I'm glad you pulled this question because there's, uh, this is interesting. And we have to answer carefully. I mean, this is a situation where you might think the answer is easy. You might just think, well, tell them they have to. But that's not the easy answer. Well, let's give what we think is the easy answer. Right. Uh, well, actually, the answer is an easy answer. There, well, there is a correct answer, and that is let's assume that it's a guidance counselor. It could also be a teacher. It could be an administrator. Right? It, exactly. And the reality of it is if a teacher or a guidance counselor has a contract that has a set Start and end time, there's not a thing you can do about it. And now, my experience, my contract had a specific start and end time. Yes, most of them do. And that doesn't mean that that's always when I left, but they it had a specific time. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, this is something that they don't just throw in there randomly. This is something usually that's bargained between the um, between the school system and the unions. Right, right. And 
the um, sometimes it's the amount of hours that you're there, like eight hours or seven or seven and a half, which they conveniently match with the time that the students arrive and the students leave, so you're all there at the same time. Right, that's but, really, yeah, that's no, really best funny how they do that, right? <laughs> Gee, that's a good idea. Um, but to tell somebody that they have to work beyond their contractual day, yeah, you can't do that. You really can't. Uh, you shouldn't do that. And they, don't, they are not required to work beyond their contractual day. Now, some contracts also have a statement in there that says uh, if there's an emergency or if there is a regular, for instance, monthly faculty meeting, mm-hmm. and it is after school, then beyond contractual hours, yes, you are obligated to stay for that. And there could be other clauses, too. Right, yeah, but exactly. But those are the two that are probably the most prevalent. Mm-hmm. Uh, emergencies are the ones that obviously pop up at the last minute and really become inconvenient for people. But guess what? If it's an emergency, it's an emergency, mm-hmm. and you need to stay. You know what the reality is? The teachers that I know all work beyond their contractual day. And a lot of times they're taking work home with them because, they, you know, they'd rather sit out on the beach and do it than in their classroom. But as a teacher, I did. I always took stuff home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I I went well beyond the contractual limits. Yeah, and, and what I was going to say is if uh, if someone is working and is, is making a point of working strictly to contractual hours, the problem may not be with an employee. This is really more of a symptom than anything. I mean, this could be a symptom of maybe ha- being displeased with their job. Mm-hmm. So maybe the issue isn't that someone's not right. working to contractual hours. Maybe somebody's just not enjoying what they're doing, and maybe that should be the focus. And typically, you you hit on something. Um, you know, as a school administrator, you got to keep your antenna up. And most of the time, the problem isn't the problem. Right. This exactly. is something that's you know I'm mad at you for something else, so I'm doing this to get your attention. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it could be something else. Uh, but we, I think we've answered it. I think so. But, you know, truthfully, again, the other thing I, I want to say is the teachers that I work with, including myself and the ones I still work with, like what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they're not watching the clock. Right. Now, sometimes they have dental appointments or the kids have to go to a soccer game or something like that. Yeah, so they take off whenever they got to go. But uh, most the, of the time the, it's not a problem. And sometimes those appointments can come at a stretch, like for an entire month. Somebody's got to leave at exactly the right time yeah. because, you know, it could be anything. It right. could be like a parent who's in the hospital and they're helping care Absolutely. for or a child. Or and as a school administrator, if a, a teacher leaves at exactly their contractual limit, okay, that's what they're allowed to do. What are you going to do, get mad at them? You can't. Right, and if you approach them... If you approach them combatively about the situation, you really could be making things a well, lot worse. And they'll win because that's in their contract. Exactly. That's why we have contracts. Okay. So the answer is I don't know. What be was careful, the unnamed administrator. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're Walk softly on that one, buddy. <laughs> yes. You're headed for a mousetrap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pull out one more email from our big stack of summer email. If we didn't get to your email, sorry about that. If it's uh, still a pressing issue, you know, say, hey, please, you know, I need – I need this. Uh, I need this question. Send it in again. It takes him a long time to to read. It does. I'm a very <laughs> he slow was a math reader. teacher. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Send it back in again. Across the it, curriculum back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reading. Okay. Right. We just stomped our feet to indicate the answer to most problems. Right. As in, uh, you know, horse math. We call it that. Yeah. So this is the. Here's the last email for today. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Uh, this question is from Angel. Let's give a heavenly response. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How do you determine what point value to give assignments, homework, and projects? I'm a first-year teacher of language arts and social studies 
for seventh grade. Ooh, got her work cut out for her. Where's Angel from? She's from Earthlink.net. Okay, so again, I've been there. Have a hometown, but <laughs> uh, she's uh, an angel circuit. No, okay, orbiting Earth link. Uh, well, Angel is probably very busy right now teaching uh, seventh grade language arts and social studies uh, because that's that's a big one and it's very important. So what it sounds like she's asking is how do we award points for our various assessments, mm-hmm. and she's listed a couple specific ones but that is a good question so you answer it it's too hard for me okay well how about uh well, i'll start with this we'll start with a framework the first thing you have to do is decide how you're going to i'm guessing this is a grading policy question right yes like, how do i assign all my grades and how do i grade everything and, and and essentially how at the end of the marking period do i come up with a final grade well that's tough right well in my experience well, there's two major ways to okay. do a grading policy right yeah Okay. Were you going to say something? Did I interrupt you? You did, but you had a better tale, so go. Okay. Um, I'm guessing that there's two major ways to do grades. Yes. And one of them is total points, mm-hmm. where everything gets a fixed number of points. A quiz will be out of 10, a project out of 15, a homework out of 10, 20, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And then you add up all the total possible points at the end of the marking period. And divide by five. Right. Nope, that's uh, not true. <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> you add up all the points they earned out of the possible and divide that by all the possible, and that's yeah, you're right, your percent. This is my wheelhouse. So that's one method. Now, there's pitfalls to that. Yep. And what pit- are they? they are <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I'm they awake are, today. <laughs> okay. I'm guessing that the pitfalls to that are that you're inconsistent with your points. Right. So if you have homework worth five points one day and 15 points another day and there's no real substantive reason or, or some sort of measurable reason that you did mm-hmm. that, then it doesn't make any sense. And if you have a test that's worth 50 and then you have a project um, that's worth 75 and that project was only like a two-day project or something like that and it was in class, and there's, you really have to be careful about mm-hmm. keeping those points consistent throughout the entire marking period. Absolutely. Well, there's another way to look at it. So mm-hmm. let, me, let me rewind the tape a little bit here. Okay. And one of the fundamental questions that Angel is really wrestling with is, what are grades for? You know, what, what's their purpose? You're getting all hippie on me, aren't you? <laughs> Where's well, the man. love, man? <laughs> Why well, can't we it, all just get along? It's, uh, yeah. this, is, um, this is a fundamental question for all people. Uh, all teachers, and why why do we grade students? And one one answer is, well, we do it to see how well they're progressing through the curriculum, and that's not a bad answer. But there are other reasons too, and and one of which would be, well, we we're going to need to know what the grade is to determine what course they should go into next, or what special program, or what direction, and or do we need a special program for this person? Um, so there's a lot of reasons for scoring, sorting, grading, or assessing a student. So given that, uh, probably the best way to look at it is, okay, within the curriculum, what I have to teach, what's the best way to determine if a child is being successful in this class? Now, the standard ways, of course, are giving tests, giving assessments, mm-hmm. assigning homework, and then somehow magically coming up with a score that says, okay, you win. Right. Or you didn't win, and you, <laughs> you need to win. do this. Okay. You can trade this in for prizes. At right, the yes, and you get 25 of these, you can go home free. But does that really do what we want it to do? Aha, uh-huh. now there's a thought question for you. 
So you're saying you just don't want to fly into your grading blindly and say, well, this is 5, this is 10, this is 12, and now here's your grade. Have a nice day. That's pretty much how I did it my first year, and I found out right away that's not a good way to do it. You can't support it mathematically, mm-hmm. and you really can't support it educationally. So, um, Angel, excellent question, and here's here's one answer. One answer is you got to look at how you teach and how you expect the students to learn and then how you are going to determine if they've learned or not. Now, one of the best ways is some sort of assessment that is consistent with the intent of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them are pretty easy, like math. If you can add a column of single digits, then life is good. Okay, that's a yes or no. Mm-hmm. But other things are a little more delicate, like the, the field that she's in, language arts, writing a good paragraph. Okay, it's a little bit more complicated than, mm-hmm. you know, being able to assess that. So uh, make sure that your measurement and your evaluation is understood by the students ahead of time. This is what I'm looking for. Right, you uh, never want to spring a rubric on somebody at the end or, or, or spring the expectations on at the end after you've already graded them according to those Of course, right. right, yeah. Plus, it's instructionally a good idea for them to know ahead of time. That way they can prepare. Right. So in the grand scheme of things, what is it that you're going to do? Again, typically a, teacher's, a teacher will give some sort of assessment at the end of a unit. Mm-hmm. The question is, how do you get fairness out of that? Now, if you see mastery as the most important thing, then it really doesn't matter whether the child gets it on homework or quizzes or the test. The important thing is they got it, right? and so they get the passing or the highest grade. Other people look at it differently. They will say, well, it's important to reward those who got it first, for instance, on the quiz, and then got it again, you know, on the test and on the homework. Or even on homework. Like if they just understood it right away, they would get all the homework correct, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. follow that up with quizzes or projects, and then... Exactly, exactly. So part of it is philosophic in nature. How do you want the students to gain points? Mm -hmm. One way to break this down is... Where are you going to invest your time as a teacher? Are you going to invest your time in teaching grading quizzes, grading homework, or grading tests? At the same time, where do you want the students to put in their time? Do you want them to spend a lot of time with homework? If you do, it should be worth a lot of points. Are you going to spend uh, a lot of time with the quizzes? Are they important? If so, then they get the most points. It's probably a good idea uh, in seventh grade to give some sort of credit or recognition for a variety of things. The test doesn't count for 99% of the score. Uh, There may be an opportunity for projects. There may be an opportunity for quizzes. There may be an opportunity for group work. And all those things can somehow sum together to form, you know, an assessment. Right. And uh, here's one last thing. This just, is a very deep answer, by the way. It's it's more than you wanted, but no, I... No, no, it's not I more felt, than I wanted. It's just more than I anticipated. Well, I, I kind of felt like talking, so... No, this is very interesting because it's the, <laughs> the entire philosophy of how you're going to assign points is... It, it is. And you can almost look at it this way. You can almost look at how you grade a single question as a microcosm of how you view your teaching. That's perfect. Are you, for example, in math, I knew a teacher who would give all or nothing based on the answer. Mm-hmm. So she would be somebody who would lean towards giving more points to a test right. because it's the outcome that's more important to her as opposed to the process. Exactly. And someone who's more interested in the process would probably give more points for homework 
because they want to look at the, you know, you're thinking behind it. Mm -hmm. In her mind, if the person couldn't get the right answer in math, that was, it was right or wrong. And she didn't really care how you got the wrong answer. Just in the same way that, you know, she didn't care how somebody wrecked into her car if somebody wrecked into her car. Right. Either way, I remember getting, getting some, some points in math mm -hmm. for setting up the problem and doing the addition correctly and still getting the wrong answer. I didn't get full credit, but I got some. Right. It kept me from failing math. And so that, that's exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Now, here's another thing. Let me give you your scenario. As a math teacher, or in Angel's case, as a so social social that's studies. Hard to say. It is for me. <laughs> I got too many teeth left. <laughs> and a tongue. And a language arts. Uh, you know, are you so confident in every question on your test and on your quiz that if a child gets it wrong, is it really the child's fault or was it a bad question? Or thirdly, did you teach it that way? Okay, so there is a reluctance, at least on my case, to be very rigid in assigning scores. So here's what I used to do. Mm -hmm. I would magically come up with a score at the end of a unit or at the end of a nine weeks or a marking period, whatever it was. And then I would look at every score and look at every student and say, now, does this really reflect what that child knows? And if it did, I didn't change it. And if it didn't, guess what? I changed it. If I, if the, if it averaged out, the child got an 83 and I looked at that and I said, you know, that's not fair. This child is really a 90. I moved it up. Oh, so like if, if, if their grades early on in the topic were lower, but then they got it at the end, exactly. you're not penalizing them for taking the time to get there. Right. And re remember, I doubt if there's an assessment that has been made that doesn't have a source of error in it. Mm -hmm. In other words, it doesn't matter what the student does. There's a problem with it. Right. So I always try to factor that in. And, you know, my tests weren't perfect. And I knew that, uh, you know, you, you craft a question and you give it to 100 kids and some of them are going to read it differently. And they're going to get the wrong answer because they just read it differently. Right. They read it the same way, but they interpreted it differently and got it wrong. So I always kept that in mind. And I always interacted very well with the students on a daily basis. And that's probably the best way to assess your child right. or the students. And from that, that's where I determined, is this score that I've come up with truly reflective of the child? And so if it wasn't, I changed it. Well, you know, you're bringing up an important point, too, which is having a legally Good. defensible score. Right. Because in this day and age, people are very tuned in to exactly how their scores are calculated. Mm -hmm. So if they end up with a score, especially if it's lower, right. you know, you have to have a clearly spelled out grading policy in your policies that you pass out at the beginning of the year. And you say, this is how much I'm going to make everything worth. Right. So these are all these questions we're talking about now have to be decided before the school year starts. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I, truthfully, I don't think I ever lowered anybody's grade, but I always did inflate them mm -hmm. if they needed it. And partly because I could be wrong. And so I wasn't going to punish a child because of, of my error. Well, yeah. One thing that I realize now, having been out of teaching, is that when you're just when you're in the zone and you are cranking out test after test after test and quiz after quiz, and you're grading, you know, you're grading every day, all the time, in, deep into the hours of the night. You don't have the time to stop and think: Was this question fair, or are people getting this wrong because I misled with this instruction, or was it a trick question? And there's a lot of people who get joy out of trick questions because you're like, aha, you didn't read that well. But sometimes, you know, 
you have to realize that trick questions don't really assess understanding. No, no. So they're tricks. Right. And you're assessing someone's ability to discern a trick, and you're not really measuring I agree. Learning. So there's all these things that you just don't have time, it feels like, to think about when you're crafting your test. But you really should, like you're saying, at the end of the marking period, sit back and think. Is it fair? Yeah. Is it right? If someone was to run a reliability test on this, <laughs> would it come out clean? Would the students who got higher scores have scored higher in this question than others, or was it mm -hmm. sort of random? And, you know, quite frankly, you just don't have time during the school year for every test and quiz to make that kind of analysis. That would just be nuts. But you really have to stop and think at the end, are all these tests reliable? And if somebody challenged them, because someone might. Right. Could I defend it? Exactly. Exactly. So just, uh, Angel, keep in mind, uh, there's no test that, that you're going to give or that I ever created that's 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. So given that, there's always going to be some fluff in your scoring. Now, right. whether you decide to make quizzes and homework 10%, is really based on your philosophy of teaching. Is that where you want to measure the style, uh, the child's progress? If so, then weight it accordingly. If it's something that you just want the child to do because it's a good idea or it supports their education, weight it accordingly. And balance it out so that at the end, you're getting your information, your data from a variety of sources. And you pull that together into something meaningful. Again, in, in my opinion, the single best thing, best way to measure a child's assessment is what you do on a daily basis. Again, uh, in my style of teaching, I was very interactive with every student in the class. And every day, we had some sort of a conversation. So there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't have a pretty good idea of what this child uh, was capable of doing and whether they'd done their homework or whether they had participated in the activity or something like that. I knew it. Mm -hmm. And over time, you get a good sense about what the child is capable of doing. Your tests and other assessments, hopefully, will confirm that. But that's when you have to sit down at the end, when you're summing it up for a marking period, and decide, okay, here's where I think the child is. Here's what the numbers add up to be. And then you do a, a fairness check on that. And do what's right for the child. No, I totally agree with that. I totally agree I, with that. Really? Good. I do. Now, there is one. I'm going to bring up a mathematical point, too. Uh-oh. The easiest way, well, like you're saying, you want, how much should everything be worth weight-wise? Mm -hmm. Should homework be worth this much or that? You know, you're saying at the end to do a fairness check. So how do you get to that end point? How do you get to a score that then you can back-check for fairness? Uh, the one thing that I, a common mistake with new teachers that I found is that they'll say, I think homework should be worth 15% of the grade or 20% of the grade, and then they grade by total points. And at the end of the marking period, if you would add it up, homework was worth 60% of the right. grade. Now, they said it was worth 10, but that was just saying. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can't make it worth 10 just by announcing that's going to be the case. <laughs> and then when the points <laughs> wash out in the end, it's not like that. Right. The, I mean, there is a way to weight your grades, and it's really simple. If you want homework to be worth 10, you, know, you, you, you get that total homework percent. Say, it's, if you let's just do pure math. So I'm going to leave the... The philosophy to Glenn for this one. <laughs> because eventually it comes down to a number you have to defend. Right. And let's say that you end up with, you figure that they deserve an 87 for their homework. And you want homework to be worth 15% of the grade. Mm -hmm. well, then you take that 0.87 times 0.15, and then that gives you a little piece of the grade. And then you take their quiz scores, that 35%, say. 
and their quiz score was 91. So you take that 0.91 times 0.35, and then you take their tests or the project. You add up all those little pieces, and that's how you construct the final, the final score. You multiply. You actually physically weight the percentage by multiplying by, by the percentage. And then, no matter how much homework you assign, or how much, how many quizzes, or how many tests, it forces it to be worth exactly that amount. I, understand, I actually understood that. that Maybe because I'm sitting here watching you explain There's a lot of it. And he's finger using, motions. Ladies and gentlemen, he's using his hands, his fingers, uh, toes. He's got them all going here. I understood that. But for those of you out there, you might want to have him email you that. That's right. is, anyone, hello, is anyone awake? <laughs> Did I put everyone to sleep with that? <laughs> uh, Angel, it's a very good question. And the, the bottom line is... Uh, there is probably some sort of format that your school or school system has used in the past. You may want to look ahead of time. Uh, certain schools will say that you cannot take more than, let's say, 80% of a student's grade from uh, their test. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may already tell you that 30% has to come from t- uh, quizzes or homework or participation. So look to see, first of all, look to see if your school already has something in place. Then use it, obviously. But beyond that, you uh, have a philosophic uh, charge in front of you, and that's to decide where you want to get the points from. Mm-hmm. And you decide that by where are where is the best way to measure or assess how well the child is progressing. So it's kind of a lengthy answer, but it's a very good question. Right. And uh, it know, deserves I hope that helps. More than just the mechanical answer that I was giving. It yeah, does deserve that, that thought process behind it. You don't want it just to be a random reflection. It's the no. number that feels right. You really no. want it to reflect your own philosophy. Right. And do the fairness check at the end. It's, it's really the right thing to do. I'm going to throw in one last caveat, and that one last caveat, rather. And that's that um, a sticky, sticky situation is a class participation grade. Mm-hmm. I think this is kind of getting phased out. And I'm even unsure, unclear on the legality of it. This may have even, I have to check my facts, but this may have even come under legal attack recently. A participation score is a dangerous thing. It can become a weapon that you wield against people that you don't like and a way that you inflate the grades of students that you become fond of because they like participating. And if you're going to include a participation score, you really need to be able to prove why somebody got this and somebody got that. And do you want a kid who's who's shy but who gets everything right to get a bad grade because they felt too shy to participate? So you really, really be careful. All right, let me that. let me chime in on that okay. one. Part of it is how you define class participation. Right. If you're defining class participation participation as uh, the the amount of times a child raises his hand and offers to recite, uh, that's one thing. That's never how I defined it. Class partici- participation <laughs> <laughs> for me was the interaction I was talking about before. Right. Uh, and, and participation probably isn't a good term for it. Uh, class interaction. Well, you were using it as a safety check as right. a, instead of an actual percent of the grade. Correct. Like 10%. That was your way of, of saying, well, this person deserves more. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, I think that's a very defensible way to do it. At the end of the marking period, these are kids. This isn't, you're not, you're not, you're not weighing mm-hmm. fruit and it has to be mm-hmm. exactly right to the ounce. You have to decide. You know, this is a measurement of their development as well as of whatever numbers appear to the top of their paper. Right. And probably the final thing I have to say to, to Angel and everybody else is this isn't a black and white event. Uh, there's shades of gray. And what the teacher has to do is decide where in this gray area is the accurate assessment of this child's progress. Mm-hmm. Are you going to make mistakes? You bet. 
And probably the best thing I can say is err in favor of the child. That's always a good idea. That sounds that like a case, good way to I'm, end the episode. In that case, I'm going to the Packley Lounge. Missed an episode or two? www.newteacherhotline.com Past episodes, message boards, and uh, other stuff. Go there now. You know you want to. All the cool kids are doing it. The New Teacher Hotline is presented every two weeks by the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. Look us up online at www.abcte.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. In fact, ABCTE makes no claim that downloading this podcast will even be worth your time. But, you know, we, we hope it is. Our theme song is courtesy of Van Davis at www.vandavis.com. Thanks for listening.